Welcome to the Hello Someday podcast, the podcast for busy women who are ready to drink less and live more. I'm Casey McGuire-Davidson, ex-red wine girl turned life coach, helping women create lives they love without alcohol. But it wasn't that long ago that I was anxious, overwhelmed, and drinking a bottle of wine a night to unwind. I thought that wine was the glue holding my life together, helping me cope with my kids, my stressful job, and my busy life. I didn't realize that my love affair with drinking was making me more anxious and less able to manage my responsibilities. In this podcast, my goal is to teach you the tried and true secrets of creating and living a life you don't want to escape from. Each week, I'll bring you tools, lessons, and conversations to help you drink less and live more. I'll teach you how to navigate our drinking-obsessed culture without a buzz, how to sit with your emotions when you're lonely or angry, frustrated or overwhelmed, how to self-soothe without a drink, and how to turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst-case scenario to the best decision of your life. I am so glad you're here. Now let's get started. Hey there. I've got some big news for you that I have been not so patiently waiting to tell you about. After six months away, my super popular, completely free masterclass is back and it's better than ever. I've been working on it for months. So if you have been struggling to get sober momentum, please go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class. You can sign up for my free training, Five Secrets to Taking a Break from Drinking, even if you've tried and failed in the past. In this 60-minute masterclass, I am going to share with you all the things you need to stop doing because they're setting you up for self-sabotage and what you need to start doing instead. I am giving you the steps and the mindset shifts that I go through every day with my private coaching clients, and it is completely free. So if you are sober curious, if you've been thinking about taking a break from alcohol, this class is going to set you up for success. I promise you it is worth your time. So hit pause on this episode, go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class and save your seat. Hi there. Today we're talking about growing pains and releasing your past identity so that you can evolve into a new one. I know when I was drinking, I identified as a red wine girl. That was part of who I thought I was. It was tied into my persona at work and in social situations and in my marriage. And a lot of us have fears about when we put that identity down, what comes next? And it's scary. I was like, are people still going to want to hang out with me? What am I going to do in my free time? All that kind of stuff. So today we're going to talk about those growing pains. We're going to talk about how to release your past identity and feel really excited about your new one. And I love my guest today. You may recognize her from my fifth episode, which was on codependency recovery, boundaries and people pleasing, which is one of my most popular episodes. Her name is Haley McGee. She's a codependency recovery coach who helps individuals of all ages break the people pleasing pattern, 
set empowered boundaries, and master the art of speaking their truth. If you don't follow her on Instagram, you should. She's got over 130,000 followers. And I love the pieces and thoughts she puts up there. I always tell my clients who struggle with people pleasing relationships or boundaries to go over there and follow her. So Haley's worked with over 150 clients from the US, Canada, Ireland, France, Yemen, South Africa, and more. She's facilitated group coaching for employees in partnership with WeWork and Amazon and Women in Music. She hosts a bi-monthly virtual workshop, including empowered boundary setting for the recovered people pleaser and courageous dating for the recovering people pleaser. And she resides in Seattle. We actually met at a She Recovers Sharing Circle years ago, and Haley just hit three years alcohol-free. So Haley, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks for that, Casey. I'm so glad to be here. This is very exciting. I, know. I can't believe it it's is. been a hundred episodes. <laughs> I can't either, but you know, I think you were my first guest episode as well. So I loved that conversation. It's really popular and I'm excited to have you back on. I'm so excited to be back on. I think like this feels like a really natural next conversation for us to have. It's like, all right, we're all stoked about quitting drinking, like breaking the people pleasing pattern, whatever. But then it's like, oh, there are some hard parts to this journey. There are some growing pains. And I think it's so important that we normalize those. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I was even messaging with a client today, which is my favorite part where she's stopped drinking. She's having more time and energy and mind space to think about other things. And instead of worrying about her drinking and feeling hungover, she's like, you know what, I'm going to apply for this you know, masters in music education program. And I'm like, that is cool. That is way cooler than feeling like garbage. Oh, yeah, that's huge. It's like this opportunity to look within. Yeah. And I think what's interesting about that, like in that story, there can be so much excitement at embracing the new. And I think for so many of us at times, there's almost the opposite. There can be this apprehension of, you know, when I'm not being the red wine girl, like you said, or when I'm not being the the laid back, chill person that everyone can count on to say yes, it's almost like this existential crisis. Yeah. It can be like, well, I've identified with this for so long. Who am I? And, and will people value me and yeah. like me when I'm not being that old self? Yeah. And often, you know, I hear from people, they're like, A, they feel trapped. They're like, I don't even know what I want to do. And even if I figured it out, I have a mortgage and this job and a marriage, like they've set up their life in a particular way. And they just feel, you know, they have very black and white thinking, right? Like, what am I supposed to do? Quit my job and become something completely new. And what I'm hoping we'll talk about is like, there are a lot of steps that you can take in that evolution, even to figure out who you are and to take away some of that fear. Mm -hmm. I totally agree. And I like the idea of it being a process, maybe even one that, you know, infinite steps, an infinite process. I don't know if we ever like a hundred percent, you know, figure out or find out who we are, but I think there's a core that we can get closer and closer to. Yeah. You know. Well, so tell me, what are some of the growing pains that occur when we start honoring our, our own needs, stepping into the newer, healthier identities and sort of putting down the wine bottle? 
Yeah, that's really interesting. I, I feel like there's a couple, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this too, based on your work with, with clients and on the podcast. I feel like for me, you know, a lot of the clients I work with are similarly breaking old, like addictive patterns, specifically those that have to do with codependency and people pleasing. And so in, in my work, I see a lot of people, like a lot of growing pains are moving out of relationships that no longer feel aligned. So maybe in the past, certain relationships have felt like, you know, a a cozy t-shirt, right? They were familiar, they were comfortable, but then you grow and you outgrow them and you notice they don't feel quite right anymore. So that's one huge growing pain that I see among many clients is just outgrowing relationships and knowing how to navigate that process with like honesty, but also compassion. When I was drinking, I used alcohol to calm my mind, to relieve anxiety, and to sleep well at the end of a busy day. I didn't know that alcohol actually spiked my stress hormone, increased anxiety, and as little as one glass of wine a night reduced my sleep quality by 24%. I was really excited to find Tanasi, a better way to find calm, rest, relief, and to reduce inflammation. Tanasi creates the highest quality, scientifically validated CBD and hemp extract products. Tanasi's formula includes a unique combination of CBD and CBDA in every dose, which is two times more effective than just CBD alone. So if you want to create a sense of calm, to calm your mind, to relax before bed for a great night of sleep, try Tanasi. Tanasi's being really generous with our listeners. You can go to Tanasi.com and use code HELLO to get 25% off at checkout right now. That's T-A-N-A-S-I.com to get 25% off your first order with the promo code HELLO and get ready to sleep well. And I can imagine that is incredibly scary even to consider. I mean, it's one thing if you're outgrowing friendships or outgrowing, you know, spending a lot of time with your work colleagues. But if the person is possibly your spouse and you have children with them, that to me would be very scary. Do you work with women who are sort of in that space? So many, you know, I'd say it's really common, especially because oftentimes these patterns like of whatever it is, like self-sacrifice, people pleasing, codependency, they tend to show up most potently in our romantic relationships because they tend to be the most intimate. For some people, that's not the case, but for many it is. And so when we shift these patterns, it's like our romantic relationships are put to the test. Like, can they endure these massive shifts we're experiencing? And can our partner or partners shift along with us? Yeah. Yeah. And I know, I mean, I'm thinking of one client in particular, and I'll, I'll keep her completely anonymous, of course, but, you know, a lot of her drinking was sort of to, to tolerate sort of disappointments in her relationship with her husband. And now that she's stopped drinking, you know, we talk about how the relationship stuff hasn't really shifted, right? Despite her best efforts and communication and therapy and all the things saying what she needs, but she has three kids and he's a good father and a good provider. And so 
she's like, I almost wish it was worse because there was some reason, you know, that it was clearly bad so that I could leave and not be in this middle space of like, do you really get to leave your relationship when you have three kids, you know, who have a good father just because it's unsatisfying emotionally, romantically, sexually, supportively. That to me is obviously something only she can figure out, but I'd love to get your take on that. Well, it's so funny you offered this anecdote because this is very timely. I, If I can, I'd like to share something that just yesterday I posted on my Instagram account that speaks to this exact phenomenon and the essence. And it, it was it was controversial. Let me tell you that. Like, this is not something everyone agreed with, but here's what the post said. It said, we don't talk enough about the courage it takes to leave a relationship, not because it's toxic or unhealthy, but simply because in your gut, you know it's not what you truly want. And that post applies not only to, you know, marital relationships or romantic ones, but even friendships. Yeah. Right. It, it, there's something very typically, I feel like, especially in romantic discourse in this culture, there's this idea that, of course, you can leave a marriage if it's if it's truly toxic or if it's abusive or it's if it's, um, you know, something like that. But then there's almost this idea that to leave a relationship because it no longer feels aligned with who you are, or what you want. There's we we're told we're selfish or yes. we're, we're told we're too picky or too demanding. And that's really challenging because the way I see it, I would love to hear your thoughts on this, Casey. But like for me, I have gone through this process a lot over the past year or two, like outgrowing relationships that no longer feel like a good fit because I've changed. We all, you know, I've changed a hell of a lot, whether it's through boundary setting, being better able at honoring my own needs, like realizing I'm an introvert and realizing I need a little more space than I used to, whatever it is. And I realize, at least for me, it's like when I feel disconnected in these relationships, it doesn't serve either of us if I stay and put on this like false, performative, happy with everything facade. Um, it's patronizing the way I see it. Like the other party deserves to be in relationships, both friendly and romantic, with people who want to be in relationships with them. And so my take is like by staying here, despite my strong sense of mismatch, aren't I robbing us both of the potential for fulfilling and meaningful relationship elsewhere? I do know that post because I literally screenshotted it and sent it to this client. Oh. Um, I, <laughs> no, I love your post on Instagram. So, and I told her she should follow you because I thought it was so timely and accurate. And, you know, I did, I asked her, I was like, how do you think he would feel if you guys were to break up, to separate, whatever. And she said, he'd probably be happier, but the kids aren't, you know, like nothing, there is no conflict, right. no toxicity. So, you know, let's keep going, but I would love yeah. to keep that type of thing in mind because it's one thing to say, you know, I'm a teacher and I'm going to go back in part-time to study music education or get a PhD in that. It's one thing for me to say, all right, I was a red wine girl, but now I'm running a 10K and I'm going to go back to coaching school, right? Those are shifts, but they're not as big shifts as yikes. I'm not sure this relationship serves me anymore and it's complicated or 
you know, I want to quit my job outright and do something else that is a big departure in terms of being home or and now traveling or not making as much money or whatever it is, right? Those are bigger. And I'd like to talk about both the small and the big ones. Yeah, I think we should because yeah. the scope, it's its similar and different, right? And one of my favorite tools for this, because when we're caught up in the thick of that decision-making, it's obviously so easy to focus on the immediate. How will this impact myself, other people, my environment? How awful will it be? And a tool I use with my clients a lot whether they're contemplating some of these out outgrowings <laughs> or whether they're thinking even just about like setting a hard boundary with someone is I encourage them to think about the long game. So imagine two things. The first is like, what will it be like, you know, a year from now or five years from now, if you do make the shift and if you do set the boundary, but then also, and the second one can be even more motivating. All right. So what if you don't, what if you never set the boundary or you never make this shift? What will you notice one year from now, five years from now? And it's often that second question that really gets people thinking beyond the immediate band-aid being pulled off and into what they want their lives to look like. Yeah. I mean, I often ask the question, 10 years from now, will you regret not taking this chance? And a lot of people know in their gut that that's true. One of the things I I was laughing about recently and uh, was that a client messaged me And she, you know, we'd been working together for like six months and she was like, I quit my job today. And I was laughing because she was my third client who had quit her job in like three months. And, you know, (laughs) I was like, I promise you, if you decide to work with me, you do not have to quit your job, but just (laughs) (laughs) you don't not, you know, I work with lots of clients who have not quit their jobs, but I was just like, wow, that's amazing because she knew for the longest time that it was square peg in a round hole and she wasn't happy and she could do more. And she was just like, once you stop drinking and have that energy and that tolerance and you're like, wow. And that confidence, you know what? I am strong and capable and high achieving and I don't need to, you know, put my nose down and and put my head down and grit my teeth through another decade. Like I want to see what inspires me. And, you know, it just, I was laughing. I was like, wow, you're my third client to do that. And they're all good. They found, you know, doing other things, but it was just cracking me up. Isn't that incredible? (laughs) And it just goes to show like drinking and other patterns like this, they separate us from who we really are. So when we let these patterns go, we're like, oh, wow, look at all these parts of my life that fit the old me, but not the new me. And I think another growing pain, similar, but it's like the flip side of the coin that I'd love to talk with you about is like, all right, so far we're talking about like the the person's own reaction to these shifts and then like the external, right? So how other people in our lives react to us when we let these things go, like, what do you notice most among your clients when they, you know, quit drinking Like what kind of responses do they get from people in their lives? Yeah. I mean, I think that there is a lot of defensiveness sometimes, especially, you know, with spouses, if their spouse were, was their drinking buddy, if their spouse didn't, you know, worry about their drinking, if they weren't like, you know, a couple of different things. One, the partner might drink too much 
and they were drinking too much together. And when, you know, someone stops, it shines a light on the other person's drinking because it's normalized if you're both drinking a lot. Um, and so there can be a lot of sort of subtle sabotage from a partner, which, you know, you know how hard it is to quit drinking, how hard it is to make that decision to move on. And, you know, a partner could be like, oh, I know you had a hard day. So I just, you know, brought this bottle of wine home in case you want to drink it. And it's like, oh my God, I'm 40 days alcohol free. What? Yeah, I had a hard day. Or someone's like, oh, we're going away to this romantic thing. I brought champagne just in case, you know? And so there's that subtle sabotage. Interestingly, even my husband, because I had him on the podcast and we talked about it, he was sort of a normal drinker. We've been together for a very long time. When you start doing new things, you know, you have to, when you stop drinking, pull in other supports, spend time doing different things. I went to therapy, I took up running, I did all these other things. I had some sober friends and it was going to dinner parties. They happen to be all women. So I'm sure it would have been worse if they weren't. But he was worried that I might outgrow him or that I might not want him because I was changing so much, even though he wanted me to drink less. And I think, you know, sometimes there's resistance with family and friends like, oh, you think you're better than me now or you're judging me or like, or people, women are putting up more boundaries and the husbands kind of liked it when they drank because nobody's perfect. And women tend to ask for more when they're not drinking. Cause when we're drinking, we want, we don't want them to be like, yeah, what about you? You know what I mean? Like, look at you, you're drinking on the couch every night. So you take that away. And once you're feeling more confident, you're like, dude, this isn't cool that you do X, Y, and Z. And they're like, fuck, you know, like you haven't mentioned <laughs> me in a decade, you know, because wow. you haven't wanted me to say anything about you, but suddenly you're all good and you're raising the bar on what you require of me. That's right. That's really interesting, right? It's like raising the bar on the whole thing and needing more from it. Because you realize you deserve more. And the way some things are set up in your relationship or how you're being treated or talked to or the division of labor is not equitable and not okay. And so you want to change things and that's hard. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. I don't know about you, but I cannot believe how fast this year is flying by. We're all busy, but one of the most important things you can do to make sure you're on the right path is to carve out some time to celebrate your victories and to notice what you've wanted to change but haven't been able to yet. Whether you're navigating sobriety, setting boundaries, or striving to be the best version of yourself, therapy can be a game changer. Therapy is for anyone looking for growth and support. And if you're considering it, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's convenient, it's flexible, and it's entirely online. So take a moment for yourself and visit betterhelp.com forward slash someday to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash someday. 
That's right. Yeah, those schisms it can create, even in like marriages, it's really tough. Like, you know, one quote, and I forget the original author of this quote. I don't even know if it's known, but it's that quote that goes like, the only people who get upset when you set boundaries are the ones who benefited from you having none. Yeah. It's like, damn, first yeah. of all, yes. There's also one of the the best books I've ever read in this whole work of like learning how to kind of set boundaries and self-advocate was um, The Dance of Intimacy by Harriet Lerner. And I highly recommend it for any person who is kind of changing up the patterns in their intimate relationships by quitting drinking, setting boundaries, you name it. I could probably was, use that in my relationship. Casey, this book will blow your mind. It's great. Like okay. I read it once a year. Um, maybe we can include it in like the notes or whatever. Oh, absolutely. But, so Harriet, I'll just call her Harriet because I wish we were on a first name basis. So Harriet says this whole, she's a Bowen therapist and she describes this process by which when we're in a relationship and we set a boundary, whether it's like quitting drinking, some other boundary, it's really common for the other party to have what she calls a counter move, which is basically them with their words or their actions being like, change back, change back, right? Because they they crave that equilibrium that we once had. And if you can stay firm in your boundary and resist that counter move, it kind of forces the whole relationship to find a new equilibrium. And that is a growing pain. Like that process of like navigating those choppy waters and being like, oh, there's this tension now. Things used to be so smooth. And I think it's really worth it to go through because sometimes on the other side, we reach a new healthier equilibrium. You know, I think about this, this isn't quite with drinking, but I know I had to set some really powerful, some of the first big boundaries I set were with my parents because, and I, and I love them both and, and we've unpacked this at length, all of us. But once I started doing some like research and reading about codependency, I had realized some dynamics within my family that I didn't feel were healthy. And after a while, like, you know, therapy, doing all the good stuff, I actually decided to tell them this and say, Hey, here are some of the patterns that I am finding like that aren't working for me anymore. And it was so interesting because when you, when you talk about boundary setting, everyone focuses on like just getting the words out. Not enough people talk about self-soothing through the hard moments after, because it Mm. took a while, especially me and my mom, we're super duper close. I love her. We had to kind of change the way we interacted with each other. You know, there was less oversharing. There was less kind of like enmeshment in our connection. And it took like a solid year or so for us to find a new equilibrium and feel as close as we'd been prior to that. And that year was really hard because I had a lot of self-doubt like, oh my God, did I destroy this relationship? Did I ruin the closeness we share? Am I just being too selfish, too demanding? And I just, for anyone listening, who's like, oh God, I'm, I'm, I'm in those choppy waters right now. Like it takes time to find new equilibrium. And oftentimes it is found if you and the other person are willing to find it together. Yeah. I had so many thoughts when you were talking about that, because also when, you know, some of my clients have stopped drinking there, they've found as they go through all this, that they are so much more honest with their partners than they have been in like a decade of, of marriage. Because, um, you know, I know for me, like, I didn't want to stop drinking, but I was worried about it. I the last person I wanted to tell was my husband, because I lived with him. And I was going to live with him for 30 more years. So like, I didn't want to say something then every time I ordered a third glass of wine at a restaurant, or 
brought a bottle of wine home for dinner for him to be, you know, quote unquote, watching me. Um, And so I was really, maybe not as much as dishonest, but I did not share probably, you know, when you're drinking or worried about your drinking, it's on your mind a lot. Every morning when you wake up with a hangover, every time you're debating if you have time to stop at the store and grab a bottle for that evening, every time, you know, occasionally I'd wake up on the couch at 3am and be like, have to go upstairs and like open the door to our bedroom and it was pitch dark and be like, fuck. So it consumed a lot of my life. And I did not tell him any single bit of that. And I know that for my clients too, they have this sort of perfectionist um, thing with their husband where they don't tell them when kids are hard or when they don't like something because they drink a lot to tolerate it. And that's scary and hard or just, I don't know, they don't want to have uncomfortable conversations. And so now that they navigate, like you said, those choppy waters, they're like, wow, I feel so much more supported because he sees me and he can help me. And we've never weirdly been honest with each other. And also he gets to be more vulnerable about the stuff that's hard for him. I mean, my husband said Mm. to me, like, you know, I think you know, he read a quote and he said it to me. And then he's like, I think it's true. Cause I said, I didn't think it was true. And this guy said, I think my wife and kids would rather me fall off my white horse than get to, or die on my white horse than step down from it. And I was like, there's no way that's true. He's like, I don't know. You know, like he was just like, really? Wow. Is it not? And I was, you know, you, when everyone's pretending everything's you know, nothing to see here, you don't start those conversations and then they don't feel like they can either. That's right. And isn't it, yeah, it's like that perfectionism and that performance. Like I want to be lovable. I want to be perfect. And then it's like, but that prevents perfectionism is like the opposite of authenticity. And it prevents you from actually getting the support that you deserve. Exactly. You know, and I think it takes time Yeah. In the beginning, I don't know. It's worth talking about. Like in the beginning, those authentic conversations where you're sharing your fears or you're sharing those anxieties you have, like it can be awkward as hell. And I think that's part of the process. Like, I think it's important to hold space for the fact that right out of the gate, you might not go into these conversations like fearlessly or confidently, or like, you know, it takes time for us to learn that skill. It really is a skill we have to build with practice of authentic communication. Yeah. And a lot of times, I mean, I know I really don't like conflict and, you know, people naturally get defensive when you say something and you can use as many, I feel statements as you want. They're still going to get defensive, you know? That's right. And it's interesting how, like, as you're sharing about stuff with like drinking and how it impacts a marriage, I'm thinking about my own work with just like, you know, codependency and the process of lose, and not not everyone resonates with that word. So it's like codependency, people pleasing, this process of like losing oneself in a relationship or just the external. And I think that's a huge similarity between what you and I do, Casey, is like when you cut away that external focus, the bottle or the partner or the the martyrdom, you are left with your own self. And I think that's another key growing pain is that like many of us who have been focused and, and thinking about drinking for so long or thinking about how to be the best people pleaser we can be, 
we're left with the reality that like our own lives and our own dreams are the only person whose responsibility that all is, is us. And many of us are so not used to taking responsibility and like spending mental time with that. Like it's so much easier to think about the distractions. Yeah. And you know, that way it's not your fault. You get to be unhappy with things not being perfect and it being your job or your partner or money or something else. Not that those aren't valid and important, but if you, you know, are relying on others to make you happy or see your needs or meet them, then you don't have to do it. That's right. It's kind of like this easy way. God, I remember like, and that, and it comes full circle. Cause I think back to like me having those moments and I realize you start to realize things like, well, I guess I'm not that happy in my job. I guess I'm not that happy where I live. And all then comes the quitting. <laughs> it's kind of like yeah. this cycle that keeps, keeps happening. Yeah. And at the same time, you know, I always think if I just kept drinking, I would have been content treading water in this just okay, kind of shitty, sometimes good life because I was numbed out enough and blaming myself enough to tolerate it, you know? Yeah. I relate to that so deeply. Oh my God. I remember like, I remember the morning I quit for good drinking wise. I had just had like a, you know, one night stand. I was pretty hungover. I was Ubering back to my apartment. And like, I remember it was like a really beautiful morning. Like the sun was rising over the city and I had, I had recently moved to Seattle. So I was just like seeing the city and it's like pristine sunrise beauty. And I just remember thinking to myself, like, sometimes we have these moments that just hit different. And I thought to myself, like, I will really never be able to experience like the full beauty of this new city and all it has to hold if I'm hung over like this and numbed out like this. And I don't know, something about that moment shifted it all for me. You know, and was it the hangover or was it the one night stand or was it some combination of the two? The sort of just the unease I felt. Yeah. Like when you're like, I can't appreciate the beauty of this moment, if I'm hungover, was it just feeling so physically ill? I think it was just kind of like, it was a mixture of kind of like the icky headache of the hangover, but also that feeling for me, what really got me to quit was the unease that came when I would make promises to myself that I couldn't keep. You know, for me, toward the end of my drinking, I wasn't even getting that hungover that often. I wasn't making the same reckless decisions I'd made in college or whatever. It was different. It was like, I promised myself I wouldn't drink this weekend. And that weekend I'd have like two glasses of wine and it didn't matter. It didn't matter the amount. All I knew was that I wasn't respecting my own boundaries with myself. And I hated, not to use a strong word, but I did. I hated the feeling that I couldn't trust myself to protect myself. Yeah. That's what sent me over the edge. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things you were talking about your parents, the sort of other thing that I remembered, and it is probably from your Instagram, I took a Mm. screenshot of it too, is that people pleasers usually start out as parent pleasers. Right. That is so true for me. Mm, Yeah. Resonant. Yeah. Yeah. I think for so many, I mean, this is where we learn and like, What's so interesting about that too is like, I get a lot of people who come to me and they're confused about why they're like codependent or people pleaser. They're like, I didn't grow up in an abusive household. 
you know, my parents weren't addicts. I didn't have like big T trauma, like what gives? And I like, you know, that's not, those are only certain cases, right? And like so often our parents are doing the all time best that they can. But if they're grappling with mental illness or they struggle to mirror us in our emotions or they, you know, whatever the case is, like there's so many reasons we can start um, feeling unseen at home mm-hmm. and we can start doing whatever it takes to like, you know, our people pleasing is basically just us as kids being like, see me, value me. I'm yeah. here. Like, love me. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, and even, you know, my parents were just really busy and they were, they worked a lot and we traveled a lot and they didn't have a lot of time to take care of my needs or whatever. And so I wanted to make them happy. I think, okay, this is like the most ridiculous thing I ever did. And looking back, I think I was unpacking it with my therapist and she, I love her. She's very down to earth. She's like, that's messed up. Um, Because (laughs) so we lived in Paraguay. We had sort of a housekeeper nanny. She lived, you know, by our house. This sounds weird, but it was just the way life is when you move to different third world countries with the American embassy. And I was six and seven years old. And my parents worked a lot of hours and had a lot of dinner parties and events at other places because they were diplomats and also played tennis on the weekends, all of which did not include their six-year-old and seven-year-old daughters. And so when they would go to play tennis on Saturday mornings, I would wait until they left and then spend two hours madly cleaning the house. And by the way, a housekeeper lived with us. Like if that tells you anything. And then when they got home, I would hide. So they would be like, who cleaned this up? You know, and I told my therapist that and she's like, yeah, that is messed up. And she said, think of your daughter who was like six at the time. Can you imagine she would ever do something like that? And I was like, never. She would like, she's on YouTube, like, no, I don't want to, you know, (laughs) like, I was just like, that is desperate for approval and attention. Wow. Wow. Oh my God. I'm, I'm having a reaction for two reasons. A, that is intense. B, I resonate with that story. Like I did very similar things when I was a kid, the kind of like cleaning for approval, like seem like I've been there too. And it's so interesting, right? Just to notice these patterns in these small ways, it, it gives it a whole new meaning. It's like, in what ways was I not, you know, being seen the way I wished to be? Yeah. And when we talk about releasing your past identity, to evolve into a new one. It's not just being a red wine girl. It's all these subtle messages that people might have said as a complete one off that you've internalized. Like, you know, my dad once said, like, you know, people who study sociology, which I love and is very, you know, sort of closely links to coaching, you know, have never, you know, I don't know one person who majored in that ever amounted to anything. And then he said, at least I don't have to tell my friends you're a women's studies major. And I work in life coaching with women, but I swear to God, that one offhand comment changed my major and changed the work I did. I went into consulting and business for 20 fucking years. And I'm sure he doesn't remember it. He passed away 13 years ago. But in terms of like all these thoughts that are like, this is my identity. This is how I get approval. This is how I'm valued. 
from my friends, from my parents, from my spouse. It's not what I like. I'm going to drink over it. But like, what happens if I don't do it anymore? You know? Yep. Oh, God. Yeah. As a as a women's studies major, <laughs> I resonate with that so hard. You're right? like, I need to talk to your father. He was right, I'm like, guy. I've been there. <laughs> that messaging, right? Oh my God, the number of times I heard that in school. I was like, and yet so relevant to the work we do now. I mean, gender is infused with all of this. Right. But to me, that actually, what you just shared is actually a really nice segue into yet another, what I see is like a growing pain of this work, which is something I noticed, and maybe you too, um, is like, when we do start breaking these old patterns, it's common to feel angry at the folks in our past who encourage those patterns in us. Yeah. Like, so it's really common to be angry at our parents. It's really common to be angry at people who were now realizing like, oh, they took advantage of me or they, they really benefited from my people pleasing and never gave anything in return. And it's common to be really angry at our past selves who perpetuated the patterns. And like, I I like this idea, this topic about anger being not necessarily something that's bad or wrong, but almost like a necessary phase we have to go through. Because how common is that? Like, have you seen this with your clients too, Casey? Like anger at stuff from the past? I see it at alcohol. Like every single one of my clients goes mm. through this phase, like mourning alcohol, being very uncomfortable, navigating change, being worried what other people will think. And then there is the anger phase. Like then there is the, I'm looking around and I'm seeing all the marketing messages and I'm seeing what's happening. And this is fucked up. You know, like there's that phase where you're just like, you know, they're sending me screenshots on text. Like, can you believe this shit? And I'm like, I know. Right. It's like, you can't unsee it. Once you know, yeah. it's everywhere. But I, I can see that happening in relationships too. Absolutely. Like, oh my God, I tolerated this for five years. Exactly. Oh my, right. I tolerated this for five years or like I've been receiving these covert messages that I should just play small, be small, put other people first. And then, yeah, oh my God, you look at the cultural messages and it's just this big soup, you know? Yeah. Um, Hi there. If you're listening to this episode and have been trying to take a break from drinking, but keep starting and stopping and starting again, I want to invite you to take a look at my on-demand coaching course, the Sobriety Starter Kit. The Sobriety Starter Kit is an online self-study sober coaching course that will help you quit drinking and build a life you love without alcohol, without white knuckling it or hating the process. The course includes the exact step-by-step coaching framework I work through with my private coaching clients, but at a much more affordable price than one-on-one coaching. And the Sobriety Starter Kit is ready, waiting, and available to support you anytime you need it. And when it fits into your schedule, you don't need to work your life around group meetings or classes at a specific day or time. This course is not a 30-day challenge or a one day at a time approach. Instead, it's a step-by-step formula for changing your relationship with alcohol. The course will help you turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst case scenario to the best decision of your life. You will sleep better and have more energy 
You'll look better and feel better. You'll have more patience and less anxiety. And with my approach, you won't feel deprived or isolated in the process. So if you're interested in learning more about all the details, please go to www.sobrietystarterkit.com. You can start at any time, and I would love to see you in the course. And I forget where I read this. Maybe there's a great book called Rage Becomes Her. And the author's name is eluding me. I'll have to check in on that. But basically, she talks about the difference between anger and sadness and how sadness is an emotion that it does not incentivize action. Like when we're sad, we're kind of like still, we go within. Whereas anger, it um, incentivizes action. Like when we're angry, it's this energy that we want to move out of our body. We want to do something with it. And I actually think anger is a really, it's almost like a sacred thing. Like, of course, we shouldn't be violent, right? Like, that's not what I'm saying at all. But like, letting that anger almost like transform you or alchemize you into a version of you that doesn't take yeah. shit anymore. You know what? Right? That's super interesting because I do core energy coaching with women. Um, and it's sort of something we do after they reach 60 days alcohol free. And you take this big assessment, sort of like the Enneagram. And it, it talks about sort of the way you respond to different situations um, mm-hmm. and people and challenges, right? And there are two types of energy. You will navigate the world with more ease if you move out of them. Level one is feeling like a victim, right? Like you feel powerless to change situations. You feel kind of like you've been dealt a bad hand and you just have to play it. And, you know, their feelings of disappointment, or I've tried before, and it didn't work, or um, basically, I have to live this way, I have to do this, right? Um, level two is called the fighter. And it's, it's got feelings of, you know, blame, resentment, irritation, you know, it's the idea of like, this is messed up, who's to blame, I want to micromanage, I want to change things. But if someone is stuck at that powerless level, you actually want to move them to anger because at that point, mm. they feel like it's unfair. They feel like they don't deserve it. And they have energy behind that. It's essentially they feel like they're worth worth more than what's yes, an Agency is the word that I'm thinking as you're saying yeah. that, like they're no longer a victim of their circumstances. They're an agent. They They have the possibility of changing it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. Because it's hard to move someone from victim to like, I can make this a win-win for everyone, right? Like just moving them to anger is enough to help them feel more powerful. You don't want to live there because living in a place of blame and resentment and anger is not that fun either, but at least you're moving forward. Exactly. I couldn't agree more. Like in in my work, I often notice it's almost like a pendulum that reaches equilibrium. Like it starts as what I see a lot is people enter this work and there's a lot of victim, the sense of the self being a victim, having no control over their circumstances. It's like everyone walks all over me and there's nothing I can do about it. Then there's a pendulum swing as they start breaking the people pleasing pattern. And it's, you know, screw y'all. I'm setting the most hardcore boundaries ever. I don't need anyone like y'all have, you know, just like this really intense anger thing. 
And I often, and people get really freaked out in that stage because they're worried that they're becoming like stone cold jerks <laughs> who don't care about anyone. But I too find that it often like settles in the middle, but you kind of have to go through that process because there's a self in you that has been denied and neglected for so long that sometimes they just need to come out and like have a minute <laughs> and just yeah. be like, I am not taking crap anymore. And then we can totally find equilibrium after. Well, so I know you have a course or a workshop, correct me, that is how to say no, or what's the name of it? Yeah. So I have this, this opportunity. So it's called the say no club That's and it. it's offered in two ways. So one it's offered as a like six week group coaching program for folks who learn well in community and love that feedback. And it's also offered now as a six module self-paced course for like the introverts out there who just kind of want to go at their own pace. But the whole idea behind this opportunity is that like, it's, you know, an intensive program for folks who want to learn how to start setting empowered boundaries and saying yes to themselves for a change. Um, It walks you through everything from like, what is a boundary? What's the literal language I can use to set it? How do I enforce it? How do I move through guilt and some of the uncomfortable growing pains like we talked about today? Um, It's pretty much like a crash course for anyone who really wants to learn the art of boundary setting start to finish. That is very cool. And so as someone is releasing their past identity, you know, going through either not drinking anymore, those growing pains, having some fears or hesitations because they're, they're comfortable not rocking the boat in terms of evolving into a new one. What are some, you know, next steps people could take? Are there any activities or you know, things like that, if someone's listening to this, that they could start with? Yeah, gosh, so many new things. I think like, I have found it imperative in my, and these are just a couple that come to mind. There's so many. One of them is like finding a cheerleader, like someone who is not attached to your old identity and someone who supports you moving into the new one. Yeah. Like we're social creatures, right? Like, yeah, I guess maybe we could all just be like totally individualist and not need other people, but the truth is we do. So whether that person is a therapist or coach or a best friend or a family member who, when you do say no to your husband's bottle of wine, or you do set the hard boundary and you're afraid of hurting someone, like someone who can say, I see you. And I think you did a really brave thing. Mm -hmm. Like that's everything. Yeah. Right. So having a cheerleader in your world. And then also, I think like, and this is a very coachy thing to say, as I'm sure you know, Casey, but like remembering that feelings can be hard, like focusing on your values instead of your feelings. So like if we're making all of our decisions based on our in the moment feelings, it's really common that we'll avoid situations that cause us fear or guilt or discomfort, which also means we'll avoid situations that enable us to grow. Yeah. So instead of focusing on focusing in on your feelings, choosing to focus on your values, like what type of person do you want to be? Do you want to be someone who embodies like courage, authenticity, freedom, um, growth, self-respect, right? So that's been one key tool. Like when I'm feeling really anxious after setting a boundary or, or, you know, even when I was sitting home by myself on a Friday night, sober, being like, oh my God, I'm so boring. You know, like, well, what values am I embodying right now? And that makes the hard feelings feel a lot more manageable. Yeah. I love that. And, you know, I think it was Elizabeth Gilbert that said, if this is incorrect, someone write me and tell me, you know, that idea of not this. Have you heard that? You know, that I haven't. No. Yeah. Just the idea that somewhere, you know, 
any kind of change, any kind of evolution at its base often starts with this gut feeling of like, not this, this is not what I want. You don't know what you want instead, but like just jotting down or paying attention to things that make you think not this um, can be a stepping stone. And like, just even realizing that does not mean you have to throw out your whole current existence and screw whoever gets in the way. It's just like, okay, I'm wrecked. You know, I always call it sort of, you said an evolution that never stops. And I love that. I think of it as sort of your divine breadcrumbs. Like when I was working in corporate, when I was drinking, I was unhappy. And yet I was like, I can't find another type of career where I will be paid as much, where I won't need to travel, where I can do X, where I won't do Y. It was very black and white. And until I can figure that out, I'm not going to change. I'm stuck like victim plus black and white plus whatever. And now I very much think like once you realize you want something or you want something different, put it out in the universe, take a first step, whether it's a class or talking to someone about it or telling your partner or listening to a podcast on the topic or, you know, whatever, read a book. And then that will lead you on to something else. And instead of this, if I don't know it's going to be successful, I'm not going to do it. It's the, this is interesting to me. And another breadcrumb will show up or another person. And you'll just take steps in a direction that actually interests you. And you don't need to know where it leads. I love that idea of kind of like following those breadcrumbs and following that curiosity And what a novel idea, right? Like we don't need to have it all figured out right away, (laughs) right? It's like just the the next best thing, the thing that lights you up just a little bit. Um, I had an old client, one of my very first, who used to say just like when she was trying to discern if something was right for her, whether it was like saying yes to a party or something as heavy as a relationship, just being like, is it heavy or is it light? And you can feel it in your gut how that commitment feels. Yeah, I really... I really like that. And I think also, you know, I hear a lot of times and it's sort of the, this can't change. I'm stuck. There's nothing to be done. Like, yeah, but I don't have time. I have kids and I have this and I have that. And trust me, I get it. And, you know, it, you can take small steps. Like, you know, you can say, okay, well, when I'm not drinking over six months, I will have time to sign up for this music master's class or this coaching class or whatever it is I want to do. And when I'm not drinking, I can listen to podcasts in the evening or read books and remember them. But not only that, um, you know, you can also get a babysitter and go do something. You know, I used to because I worked full time, when I was home, and my husband wanted to do something, I felt like I couldn't there were, wow, he just sort of, he's doing something, I'm stuck. And then I wouldn't even ask for something. So then I started being like, oh, I want to do this thing. And he'd be like, well, I've got a game. And I'd be like, okay, sounds like we need a babysitter, you know? And it's just like, yeah, yes, you know, and, you know, the world will not end. You're allowed to be happy. You're allowed to both work and do something interesting on the weekends and spend time with your kids. Like there is enough 
but it doesn't have to be everything for your boss and your family and nothing for you because that's just going to set you up for unhappiness. Totally. It leaves with that like empty, hollowed out feeling of really just being something to other people. We we also have to be something to ourselves. Yeah. Right. Like that's got to be part of our work here. So what are some of the most rewarding parts of being someone who stands up for themselves and self-advocates? So I think when we're people pleasing or when we're drinking or whatever, it's really easy to feel like we're always wondering what to do or how to play it. It's like, how many drinks will I have tonight? How will I hide the facts that I'm a little tipsy? Or it's like, you know, what can I say to make them like me? How can I navigate all that stuff? It's very tiresome to be constantly exploring and trying to find the right answer. And I think like when you step into who you really are, like, and you give yourself permission to be authentic and honest, like there's only one answer. It's like the answer that's true for you. You're no longer worrying about how to play it. You're no longer worrying about how to swing it or how to be appealing to people. It's so much simpler. It's like, this is who I am. And I've promised myself that this is who I'm going to present to the world. And I think the amount of like energy and time that we save on all of that rumination and thinking is like such a beautiful thing. Yeah. Yeah. And anything you do for the first time is uncomfortable. That's what's been sort of holding you back. And one of the, you know, you mentioned this, I think one of the hardest parts is, okay, you set a boundary or you change something and then you have to sit there and feeling uncomfortable and the the gut reaction is, at least I know for me, is to be like, wait, wait, let me take it back. Like that person is now being quiet or that person didn't react well. And I'm like, let me, you know, never mind. And so some of the hardest part is to be like, I'm going to sit here in being uncomfortable and not take it back. And, you know, that's when things shift. Yep. I think being able, that's where so much of the work is. It's being able to, it's not like we're going to eliminate hard feelings from our lives, right? There will be anxiety. There will be those moments where we're just sitting in the muck. And the trick is not to like make those feelings go away. It's like the thing I always talk about is like how to develop resiliency to them. So guilt resiliency, if you're feeling guilty or just discomfort resiliency and uh, self-soothing, you know, emotional regulation. That's where all these like big picture concepts come into play in a very real way. Yeah. Yeah. I can completely see that. So I love that you have the empowered boundary setting for the recovery people pleaser, courageous dating. I, I know some of my clients would, would love that because it is difficult. I mean, that's one of the things a lot of women worry about the most. Um, how am I going to date if I'm not drinking or, or sort of shape shifting into that? And then you have the say no club. So where is the best place for someone to start if they want to learn more about you and follow up? Yeah, so they should definitely visit HaleyMcGee.com, which is my website where you can see all my offerings. And then the Instagram, like you mentioned, at HaleyPageMcGee. But for folks who are looking to like dip their toes into the work and really get started, I recommend checking out my Empowered Boundaries for the Recovering People Pleaser Workshop. So it's 90 minutes. You can come to an event live or you can watch it on demand. And that'll just kind of wet your whistle for this work of boundary setting and breaking the people pleasing pattern. Yeah. Um, and if you dig it, you can keep coming back for more, whether it's the St. No Club or another workshop too. 
Yeah. And I think those boundary settings, even with yourself and getting over the people pleasing is huge in being able to release that past identity because so much of it is sort of fear of the unknown or worries about it. And, you know, you do need to do some work to get through those growing pains. But that means that you're shifting from a situation that really wasn't making you that happy. Yep. It's really like a huge transformation. Yeah. Oh, that's great. I'm so glad you came back on. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me back. I can't believe it. I mean, it's so cool to see the podcast just kicking butt. So it was truly a pleasure to come back and chat with you. Yeah. And so if anyone wants to listen to the previous episode with Haley, I will, of course, put it in the show notes, but you can also go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash the number five, which is crazy because it was my fifth episode and this one is going to be 106. That is so wild. All right. Well, thank you again. It's always great to talk with you. Thanks, Casey. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hello Someday podcast. If you're interested in learning more about me, the work I do, and access free resources and guides to help you build a life you love without alcohol, please visit hellosomedaycoaching.com. And I would be so grateful if you would take a few minutes to rate and review this podcast so that more women can find it and join the conversation about drinking less and living more. I'm Madeline and I'm the host of the Happiest Sober Podcast. I got sober in my 20s after a decade of gray area drinking and the greatest plot twist of all time was realizing that alcohol, the thing that I thought made my life the most happy and fun and exciting, was actually the exact thing preventing me from living my happiest and best life. My mom is 40 years sober and she joins me on my podcast very often. I like to call her my part-time co-host and I also bring you solo episodes where I share my top tips, tricks, and mindset shifts in sobriety and lots of how to's for navigating all the things sober from weddings to parties to holidays to bachelorette parties to trips. I'm also joined by so many guests who come on and share their sober stories and they're all so, so inspiring. I'm here to show you that life doesn't end when you quit drinking. In fact, it's very much the opposite. And no matter what your relationship was with alcohol, life can be the absolute happiest when you're sober. New episodes come out every Tuesday. You can listen to Happiest Sober Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.